All right. Welcome back to uh, Mormon Expression. I'm your old buddy John here, and um, I'm just going to give you the introduction to our uh, uh, semi-annual review of the semi-annual LDS Church Conference. Uh, the conference this time was the 181st semi-annual general conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, capital L hyphen small d. And... Um, just so you, the, for you newcomers, the rules are these sessions are recorded by us um, usually within 15 to 20 minutes after the um, session ends to um, get our, our uh, immediate um, response. Um, uh, special thanks to everybody who participated. Um, as always, this is a, a, a labor of love that involves many people. Uh, special thanks to Heather, um, who recorded two of the sessions, including the Relief, Relief Society um, Relief Society session the week before, um, to uh, Jesse and to Glenn, who each hosted a session, and then to all the individuals who you hear named who who made it possible. Um, you know, Mormon expression is indeed made possible by the many voices of those who participate on, but we're missing one, and that's yours. So you need to get in touch with us and uh, get throw your hat in the mix. A couple of announcements before we start. First of all, coming up at the end of this week, if you're listening to this um, as we post it, uh, the October 9th in Salt Lake City at Wheeler Farm will be our picnic. Uh, Zilph and I will be there at 11.30. We officially starts at 12. It is a potluck dinner. It is free of charge. Uh, we're in the South Pavilion, and Mormon Expression will be giving out some cool prizes. I'm going to head down to some of our great um, rare booksellers in uh, Salt Lake City and pick those up on Saturday. Um, also, November 18th in Salt Lake City, University of Utah campus um, in the Post Theater, also free of charge. On, on that evening, we will be having a live uh, Mormon Expression for Dummies episode, and we need you to participate. Um, we'll be talking about Mormon fight songs and having a sing-along um, so, uh, you're expected to be there. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get started. I divide this up into three recordings. Uh, we have Saturday AM and PM session, Sunday AM and PM session, and I've combined the Relief Society and Priesthood session into one, uh, podcast. Um, just so you know, there's a gem on the beginning of the the um, Sunday session, Zilpha will announce the People's Choice Award for our essay contest. As you know, we had many, many great essays submitted this year, and uh, we awarded uh, $100 from the Mormon Expression um, for the Mormon Expression vote for the, the best essay, and then we put the vote out to you, the listener, and the listener choice uh, will also receive $100, and you can find out who that was um, if you tune in to episode 160 which is the Sunday session. Do enjoy. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mormon Expression Podcast. Today we've got an outstanding panel. We're going to be reviewing the Saturday AM session of the October 2011 conference. I'm your guest host, Jesse, and today uh, we have a, a panel from across the country. We have Janae in Utah. Hello. Hello. And we have Michael in Arizona. Hello there. And Matthew, all the way out in Virginia, staying up late for us. Hello, everyone. 
All right. So let's start off um, general impressions on this session. Did anybody have anything um, that they thought was particularly, you know, any themes or anything like that? Anything that really stood out to you? I was I think just going to kind of threw everybody off uh, at first was the fact that the generally you have President Monson coming on first of all, and for some reason he he wasn't there, and the first talk was from Elder Scott, and then President Monson all of a sudden just came in in the middle of it. Well, I I I did read online. I can't remember if it was on Deseret News or the Salt Lake Tribune, but it just mentioned that uh, that President Monson had been delayed en route for some unspecified reason. So he really he really did walk in late. Sounds like right. So so President Monson, the pre, the prophet, the president of the church, was not there on time for Saturday A.M. conference. I can only speculate that there's something else going on, some health reason or, or something else. I mean, he hasn't been speaking much at at the conferences anyway lately. You know, you usually get a, a couple talks out of him, but he's not like President Hinckley where he'll talk every session and give a 20 or 30 minute talk. Well, um, and, and I only listened as opposed to watching, but and maybe you all can confirm it, but I thought I'd heard someone say that uh, when he did ultimately speak, that he had sort of security walk up behind him, and then they remained there um, throughout his uh, his short talk, which is sort of shades of other, uh, you know, of the general authorities of the past when they're, I guess, well enough to stand, but there's at least some concern that they, you know, might get a little, you know, woozy on their feet. Right, and I noticed today on the Sunday afternoon session as well when they. You know, they, they showed him shaking everyone's hand at the conference session. He had a handler that was right on him. You know, it could, it could have been for security reasons, but I mean, this guy was sticking sticking right on him. But okay, well, well good. I'm, I'm glad we could get that out of the way. Um, let's get right to it. Um, President Eyring was conducting, and the opening prayer was by Jerry, Gary J. Coleman. Um, did anyone notice anything interesting about the invocation? Well, sure. He starts it off with uh, you know, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What, when did that become in vogue? <laughs> right. I, I don't know where that came out of. It was, I mean, it was very um, uh, Catholic almost, or um, it did not sound like a Mormon prayer at all. So well, it, bra- bravo to, to Gary Coleman um, for, for coming up with an unorthodox prayer for General Conference. Yeah, n- nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I, it's been a while since I've been to church, but that's not the first time I've heard anyone do that. And in fact, I don't have any idea why we don't hear the Lord's Prayer. I, maybe it's the same reason there's no crosses or trying to not be papist, but there's nothing sure. wrong with it, in my opinion. Okay, well, great. And next up was uh, the first speaker was Richard G. Scott, and his talk um, was basically about Scripture well, I, what I found was really interesting is the very first thing he hit on was that all of our scriptures are valid. And, um, you know, um, being um, no longer of the faith, I was very, very interested to see when he said our scriptural works, which scriptures he was going to be detailing. Um, and so, he, you know, he definitely brought in all, the, all of the works um, you know, speaking with the Bible first, which I thought was really interesting, then the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and then saying, you know, lest we not forget the Pearl of Great Price, which I thought was kind of interesting. Right. But that was still almost kind of a side note. Um, 
exactly. he did go through the others in a lot more detail, but he really skimmed over the the Pearl of Great Price, but he did mention it. Uh, the quote that I wrote down, which you just mentioned, he said, quote, we need not be concerned about the validity of the concepts within the standard works, because they are all given by the Spirit. And that just... I mean, Absolutely. blows me away because I started making a mental list as soon as he said that, like, okay, well, genocide, rape, polygamy, you know, stoning homosexuals and people who uh, don't believe the same as us and just all kinds of other things that you can, you know, if you're going to say every concept within the Old Testament is valid and we don't need to question it or we, we can't question it because they were all given by the Spirit, I mean, wow, that is that is just pretty hardcore. Well, now I can wear mixed fabrics, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to hear a talk just like this, except only about the Book of Abraham. <laughs> in general conference, I'm wa- I'm waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah, I I thought that it was sort of a, a a missed opportunity, and and when he you know started talking about all of them, I thought, well, you know, maybe we're going to get something here where he's going to give us a little bit about you know. We have the Book of Mormon, which is the fullness, and the Doctrine and Covenants, which is modern revelation. And then we've got these others that, you know, as far as they're translated correctly, and he, you know, he gives us a whole bunch of the third psalm. Um, but I was with you. Uh, you know, I, I wrote down the same passage you did, where he said, no, you don't need to worry about it. Those, those concepts are, are, are all true, um, because they're given by the Holy Ghost. I just... I don't know how you square that up. I think it would be wonderful um, if there could have been a talk, if, you know, if, if they'd asked me to write the talk, which, of course, they'd never do. Um, but if, you know, they could use the concept of, you know, and again, because it already exists in the doctrine that it's as far as it's translated right. correctly, um, you know, there's a lot of good scholarship on the Old Testament. And, you know, these were people that lived thousands of years ago, and they were, you know, desert-dwelling Semitic people. They're very different than us. You know, all the tools that scholarship could bring to say, here's why they might have understood God a little bit differently. But, you know, it just sort of neatly gets sweeped under the rug. No, you don't need to worry about it. So it's an invitation for people to read all of this. And, you know, it, it'll be in harmony when you get to the end of it, which is just an invitation to be frustrated, I think. Yeah. Um, now, let me pay him a compliment. One thing that he said at the beginning that I liked is that he talked about scriptures being tools for overcoming problems. Mm-hmm. And then he said that God inspires men and women to find solutions and write them down. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I, I hope he inspires some more women soon. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> awesome. This- this other insight might be a little out in left field, but he talked about the uh, how the scripture, memorizing a scripture, a, a scripture that we have memorized can be an enduring friend who does not weaken over time. And I, I just, I kind of chuckled at that because I actually, I listened to this, a lot of this after I listened to some of the other sessions. And there's, you know, there was a few other talks that talked about the friends that you make online, for instance, the, the people that you blog with and you talk to on Facebook, those are no substitute for true friends. But memorized scriptures sounded like they're just as good as any other friend you could make. So Yeah, I wrote that down that. too. He, he said it a couple ways. Scriptures yeah. are, are our friends or memorizing scriptures is like a new friend. But yeah, you really got to watch out for those online people, you know, but, but those shady, shady characters. All right. On that note. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just thought one other interesting comment that he made in there that just kind of, uh, you know, I could see becoming a whole new underground doctrine is that 
um, is that reading or reciting scriptures can help other people, not only in spiritual healing, but I like that he kind of threw in that and can accelerate physical healing as well. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I thought that's something that, you know, the church has kind of tried to walk away from a little bit, um, you know, kind of the urban legends of the of garments and some of the urban legends and some of the other type of things. But, boy, he he brought that right back front and center. Yep. He did. All right, let's move on to Sister Barbara Thompson. Uh, she's the second counselor in the Relief Society presidency. Any thoughts? Thank goodness she wore a suit like she's supposed to. <laughs> my my wife was was freaking out because she just thought her outfit was completely hideous and totally I mean didn't fit her and it just I I thought she just kind of looked a lot more rumpled than normally the uh, Relief Society uh, sisters do. Well, you have to, I mean, she was, wasn't she a second counselor? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the bar is probably pretty low. <laughs> so her, her wardrobe budget isn't as much as the first counselor or the president? Is that no, what you're saying? Okay. that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, uh, the first, the first woman speaks and here we are discussing her wardrobe. I know. We're so, we're so I know. Hey, but, but Janae, Janae brought it up, so I there couldn't resist. <laughs> okay, I didn't really have a whole lot on this one. I thought it was interesting that she used the example of Eliza R. Snow teaching women to receive revelation, that that was what Brigham Young had taught Eliza R. Snow to teach other women that they were supposed to receive revelation. But the part that she left out about that story is that Eliza R. Snow was teaching other women about polygamy and about how to receive confirmations of the principles of polygamy. Really? Yeah. The quote, the quote that I wrote down um, from that, from Brigham to Eliza R. Snow was let them seek for wisdom instead of power. Speaking of the women. Right. Well, that would come out of, you know, Brigham's mouth. You know, the one, oh, the one thing I thought was really interesting was that, you know, she pushed so hard on the, you know, if you're not getting personal revelation, you're either not asking in faith, you're not asking hard enough, or you're not listening. Right. She she focused a lot on feelings, how you should have a burning within your bosom, or you feel that it's right, that the right things will fill your soul with joy. And, uh, you know, every time I hear that, it's just, it just rings hollow for me because there's so many other people in other faith traditions that feel the same level of joy and happiness and contentment with their, whatever their beliefs are. Um, and to use that as your 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 confirmation for what you believe is the exclusive truth it just it just doesn't make any sense to me well she i think she does a good job of sort of laying out you know what the what i think is kind of a muddled apologetic answer uh is to you know we have missionaries out there saying you know knock and it'll be open seeking you'll find asking you'll receive 
Moroni's challenge, and that doesn't work for a lot of people. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, she goes through all of these things about, well, you've got to stack the deck by asking in faith, believing, you have to keep the commandments, and then, if none of that works, and then this is where all the, you know, kind of excuses begin to kind of let people off the hook, you didn't expect to get all the details at once, and it'll be in the Lord's way, and who is or the Holy Ghost talking to you? Yeah, there's too many. There's too many outs on that. There's just too, too many different ways that it could go, and too many excuses. I think, but well, she just cast a really wide net. You right. Know, if the bird chirps to you right in the morning, gives you a good feeling, then that was your, you know, that was your reaffirmation that, you know, God speaking to you. <laughs> Figuratively, if not literally. Yeah. There you go. Okay. And next up was L. Whitney Clayton. Uh, of the 70 and this was pretty much the rah-rah uh, talk of this session I thought it was it was essentially the the church is the stone cut out of the mountain and it's rolling forth and it's going to fill the whole earth and you better watch out because we're going to be able to fill up North and South America and the sun's never going to set on the LDS church and that yeah. the real reason for the church growth is because it has the exclusive authority those were my takeaways from it. Do you guys ever get the feeling like there's there's always a little back and forth between this trying to decide if the church is going to fill the whole whole earth and the number of members that we have is sort of a testimony of the veracity of the church and then at the same time you have other people who are saying, you know, commenting on how well compared to the amount of people in the world we're relatively relatively few in number. And uh, that's because, you know, the world is wicked and, and the church is, you know, it seems like they go back and forth with Absolutely. those two arguments. You know, I had some conversations with family members before saying that, you know, if the church really wants to grow, they're going to need to open their doors up a lot more. They're going to need to be more welcoming to other ideas and other other thoughts. If they really wanted to expand missionary work, they need to, you know, start being accepting of homosexuals and you know other things like that and and the response to me has always been well but we're a peculiar people and you know there's many called but fewer chosen and i think there is a lot of tension between those ideas and the idea that you know the church is just constantly growing by leaps and bounds um my title to this whole talk was argumentum ad populum i mean <laughs> for me it was just you know hey you know i noticed that his big thing was Boy, in the last 85 years, we've gone from 5,000, you know, from a handful of members to 10,000 members in, in a couple of these different areas. But I thought what was really interesting, but there, there was no conversation about retention and there was absolutely no conversation about the fact that their growth has really, really fallen off. So I think that conversation has become, hey, we've got all these people. We started out really small, and boy, there's a lot of us. But, oh, by the way, we're not really growing that fast anymore. You know? And it's kind of uh, kind of ironic that the, the next talk talks about rescuing the one, but this actually stuck out to me because he, uh, Elder Clayton talked about, as a, he was a young missionary in Peru back when there was only 10,000 members, and now in Peru... They have over 500,000 members and over 100 stakes. Um, and actually, I have, a, I have a brother who just served a mission in Peru. And so I asked him, that after I was listening to this talk, I said, just out of curiosity, 
what would you say the activity rates were in any given ward that you were in on your mission? And he said, probably about 10%. And I said, is that true? Is that true across, you know, pretty much all of Peru? And he said, yeah, I'm sure it is. So, I mean, 500,000 members, that's, that's great, I guess. In light of all that, doesn't it sort of surprise everybody that this talk was given at all? I mean, I was really surprised to see that they're sort of sticking on this rhetorical ground. I agree with Michael that there's always that tension that you've got the other side of the argument where you can say, well, we're a peculiar people and we were never going to be that big. And I've, you know, ever since the statistics, uh, you know, have been more widely known that it seems as though the church's growth is primarily organic at this point, meaning only, you know, new births. Missionary work has died in Europe. It's dying in the United States. I've expected to see the rhetorical ground shift uh, to that, you know, so that they could explain it. But, you know, here they are, uh, you know, thumping their chest over, hey, we're growing in big numbers. And th- that's why I would go as far as to call it disingenuous, because I, I really don't think that it, it leaves the correct impression. I think it leaves an impression that uh, the speaker knows is not correct. The choir and congregation next sang Redeemer of Israel, and then President Monson joined in. Um, he started off his talk by saying hello in a really loud voice, and he made some joke about someone substituting for him. Did you guys catch that? Yeah, yeah. I tell you, it, it, I was so impressed with how comfortable he is at what status he is. I mean, that was a man that that just feels he is in the right place at the right time. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Well, has there he, ever been anybody who was better groomed for it? Well, that okay, that's true. Yeah, so what did he say? How long has he been in the Quorum of the Twelve for? 48 years. 48 years. That's a long time. Okay, did, did nobody else, when he came in with his big friendly hello, think right to the opening scene of the Book of Mormon musical? <laughs> I, I, I did, gonna, yeah. Hello. I going to go right into the first line of that. My name <laughs> maybe, is... Maybe he's watched yeah. it. I don't know. Hello. My name is Elder Grant. It's a book about America a long, long time ago. That wouldn't surprise me. Okay, and the big the big news from this talk, the rededicating the Provo Tabernacle, except as a temple. Um, well, I, I thought they were going to faint in the, in the aisles. Did you guys <laughs> hear the audible gasps? I was just like, it's not Justin Bieber, ladies. It's a temple. But, oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, the air went out of the room when they announced that. And then the other the other time during this talk when the same thing happened was when he said the Paris-France temple. Oh, that was hysterical. Everybody, was- oh, 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 wow. Okay, so. And then when, they, when he announced Star Valley, Wyoming, after announcing the other temples Congo. in the world, everybody laughed at that. Yeah. Star Valley, <laughs> Wyoming. <laughs> and I'm sure for um, Provo, this just gives the whole town a whole new lease on life because I think there was some real concern, you know, knowing what has happened to, you know, almost all the majority of the tabernacles that are now, that used to dot Utah and are now all gone, um, except for just a very few. Um, I think there was some fear that it would just get raised and that'd be the last of it. Did they specify as to like, they're going to rebuild this tabernacle and is it going to, be basically the same, have the same appearance as it well, did before. In fact, what they're going to is going to do is they're actually going to go back to 
the original design, which had a gorgeous um, center, central um, spire. Well, not necessarily a spire, but anyway, you can, I'm sure you'll, you can see them on the Des News. Um, but it's, it looks like it's going to be really, really nice. I think they're doing a really good thing for the community down there. Uh, the thing that bothered me about this or in this, in President Monson's talk was when he announced the General Temple Patron Assistance yeah. Fund. Did anybody else catch on to this? Oh, oh I, yes. What, uh, what I loved was that it's so easy to do. Just check the box. <laughs> You know, okay, so so describe it for us, Matthew. Well, I mean, he puts it in the larger context of he says, you know, here are the temples we're doing, and we're trying to place temples closer to the members. So we've got this general temple patron assistance fund, and basically what it, did, it does is you can contribute on a regular tithing form, and it gives a one-time trip to the temple um, for people who wouldn't, you know, financially not otherwise be able to get there is how I understood it. Okay. And and I'm all for this. I mean, this is this is great. Help people get to the temple who are too far and too poor. That's outstanding. My beef with it is that they're just putting another line on the tithing slip. You know, it's just it's just another thing to pay. There's the temple fund, there's the missionary fund, there's the welfare fund, there's the uh, perpetual education fund and I mean, what is tithing used for anymore? I don't I it just I don't even know where well, seen downtown Salt Lake City lately? Yeah, I know. Well, and, and that and, and that's sort of my larger beef with it, uh, Jesse. And, and and you know, I I can make a joke about it, but in in some ways, it it seems sort of sad and obscene to me. I mean, here we have the announcement of a, a temple in it's, what is in Kinshasa in the Congo, right? And then another one in South Africa. And anybody who's been paying attention to the news, um, you know, over the last several weeks and months, there's there's an absolute humanitarian disaster unfolding on that continent in Somalia, where you know huge numbers of people have displa- been displaced. They're starving. They're burying their children along the way. And you know, juxtapose that to the announcement of we're going to build a couple of really nice, expensive buildings. So that, you know, people can come to them for, you know, religious rituals, which I, I mean, I understand and I get that that's, you know, sort of the pinnacle of Mormonism. But, you know, placing that into the context of how little the church does for humanitarian aid, you know, placing these two buildings that are, like I say, just so expensive, made of such fine and precious things. Um, I mean, it, it it's, reminds me of the New Testament where when Jesus asks if, you know, if uh, you know a son, you know wants a needs bread. Does his father give him a stone? It's kind of what it feels like. It kind of feels like they'd rather have a loaf of bread there, and they're getting a stone. Um, there's so much better ways that that money could be spent. Ways that would just be so much more consistent, in my opinion, with you know what Jesus taught, um, helping people meet their basic needs. Um, it bothers me a lot. Jose Alonso. Sure. So um, I got his name, but I did not get his title. I'm sorry. He's, uh, yeah, Elder, he's yeah. in the cor- first form of the 70. He just sorry. got I, – I actually did look it up, and he he just uh, was called this year in last April's conference. So, And he's from, he's from Mexico, and I, I just – I wish they would let some of these guys just speak in their native language and they can dub it over in English or give subtitles. Would that be – so yeah, horrible. it was it was hard to it was hard to understand a lot of what he was saying, um, but it sure was nice listening to him. It was a nice <laughs> cadence difference, let me tell you. 
you know what the co- the content of this was great too. I yeah, I was so negative on the last one that I absolutely loved this talk. Um, you know, just to summarize it a little bit, he has this theme that he keeps uh, repeating over and over. Of he says, "Do the right thing at the right time without delay." And he tells this great. I thought this was great. Tells this story about how he and his family are in Mexico City and they're shopping for clothes um, for one of his little boys. And, you know, they look around and suddenly they can't find him anymore. And I thought his comment was great. He said, to rescue him, we didn't need a planning meeting. We simply (laughs) acted immediately. And I thought, I don't know whether that's a subtle dig, you know, sort of what the church does, but you could certainly see it that way. Um, but, I, but I thought the message of this was great. You know, live a Christ-like life. Everyone has an opportunity to serve. You don't have to wait for somebody else to tell you. Do the right thing. Do it right now. And when you serve people, it transforms them and it transforms you. I, I have no criticism of this talk at all. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, the next one, Elder Packer. Emperor Palpatine. (laughs) Okay, so he's looking worse every time here. Um, He's in a wheelchair now. His um, he he just looked really pale to me, and his speech seemed a lot more halted. I noticed he didn't move his hands or his arms at all. I don't know if he. I, I don't know what state he's in, but he didn't. He did not look well. The old crow is getting slow. What I felt like this talk was in general was kind of a rehash of his talk. What was it last conference Mm -hmm. that he got in so much trouble for um, that he was going to, he he basically went over many of the same points that gender is eternal. You know, family is the center of the plan. And then he talked about bodies quite a bit. I almost thought he was going to go into the little factories. Um, (laughs) The most, the most serious temptations relate to the body. I wrote that down. Right. Yeah, and he, he started off, actually, I I thought it was funny just because he said, you, I'm going to speak to the youth more personally than I usually do. And I'm just thinking, if anyone listens to his talks over time, he's talked about this almost every conference. He talks about these same <laughs> issues. I mean, it, it, he's always bringing up the, the powers that are inside your body that he doesn't ever name. Right. I mean, he, we need to you know, watch those powers and keep them safe. And Yeah, he's been telling me not to masturbate for like 20 years, so... What, 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 did, what did people think about this? He, he makes the comment at least two times that moral standards are lower today than they have ever been and that young people are in enemy territory. I, my immediate question is, by what measure are moral standards lower today than they've ever been? What did people think about that? Well, I think he feels threatened. I mean, he's 87 years old, he mentioned. He was 17 when Pearl Harbor was bombed. So in terms of what he sees in the media and what's culturally acceptable to his, you know, norms of of society, I can understand his perspective that today the world is just completely out of control. But if you, but I'm with you, Matt, that if you, if you, look at object any kind of objective measure i mean I, I would anticipate that the rates of alcoholism are are lower today that there's you know less abuse in the world um that, that generally the world is less racist less sexist and but know, even even from the standpoint that he 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 being a pilot in in the the military during world war Two, i mean 
and he was 17 years old when when Pearl Harbor was bombed. I mean, come on, like, yeah, those guys are, weren't Boy Scouts. Are, are, are we supposed to think that the, the the things that the youth are doing in high school today are that much worse than what people were doing in the military? The 18, 19 year olds that were that had to go to Japan and to Germany. I mean, is there? I don't know. Uchtdorf was playing it pretty clean and clear in Big Springs in the next talk. Well, I think, I mean, for Packer, uh, being an ex-military guy, look at what's happened with Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I just saw this week that they announced that um, the U.S. chaplains can now perform gay marriages. So to someone like Packer, that's just got to make his head explode. Well, see, to me, the only context that the statement that morals are lower today makes sense in is if if you when you say morals you mean sexual norms and i think that within right. the church that's what's meant most of the time when people say morality yes they mean yes. sexual norms and and jesse i i agree 100 percent with what you said i mean the amount of all he's seen since he turned 17 was a was a sl- slow slide um or maybe not even slow but just I mean, if you can think about the different things that the church has had to reverse themselves on, I mean, it wasn't even that, uh, he's not even that far removed from a time when the church finally had to deal with, like, Short Creek and stuff. Who who is the heir apparent to Boyd K. Packer? I sort of see him as on a long line of Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce R. McConkie and Boyd K. Packer, these, you know, sort of doctrinaire sort of leaders that are confident and, you know, speak with authority. Is there anybody left? I mean, when he goes, um, these podcasts won't be as fun to do, but I mean, is there anybody to replace him? Bednar? I don't know. That's my only thought. Mm. Well, there are Oaks, possibly. Yeah, Oaks, Oaks is Oaks is there, but he's much more... I think he's much more sophisticated than Elder Packer. Elder Packer just, I mean, even listen towards the end of his talk. He's talking about, you know, what we need to do to get over all of these problems he lists are modesty, be reverent, and listen to good music. Right. And and then he goes right into the outcome of the battle is not uncertain. Satan's going to lose. I mean, it's just this whole narrative that runs his life. And I think somebody like Oaks is a lot more practical and pragmatic Jesse, you skipped right over the most important one. Avoid personally degrading practices. Oh. That's, that's oh. code word for masturbation. I, I, I intentionally left that off of my list when oh, I wrote okay. it down. Well, I, I, uh, he did talk very personally, as we've said, and I did think it was interesting that he, he admitted that when he was baptized and when he got the gift of the Holy Ghost, he didn't really understand how it worked at that time. And he, and he said when he was when he was 17 years old, he, he admitted that he didn't have a testimony of the truthfulness of the church, but he knew that his seminary teachers knew that the church was true, and that got him through for a while. When and, there was uh, a but, shout out, yeah, and then and then the the last thing we can't we can't gloss over that was towards the end that actually did get a shout out on the uh, online Salt Lake Tribune again from Peggy Fletcher Statch was or Stack is it Stack. Yeah. Um, he he t- he said that to, talking to the young people, you don't need to fear basically that the end of the world is going to come before you get your stuff together because <laughs> that's not true. You're going to get married, have children, and maybe even great grandchildren. And so, 
Right. You know, so again, the second coming isn't as near as we thought it might have been. Right. So I do think. I, I mean, I it, on some level, I don't like his point because they're saying, um, you know, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. There's your scripture mastery for you. Um, <laughs> that, but at the same time, he's saying, well, I know it's not going to be in the next thirty years. I mean, yeah. I, 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 how do you know that, Elder Packer? I mean, it's it's. I, I don't know where he comes up with that, but I do like that, you know, it might calm down some members because I've heard yeah. members even recently yeah. talk about, well, you know, do you think it's going to be in 10 years? Do you think it's going to be in 15 years? I mean, they, there's people that think it's going to, that we're right there. Oh, I mean, they, absolutely. Oh, and they, they see gay about... marriage and they see problems in the Middle East and they just think it's, you know, the world is just falling to pieces. Well, think about the people that you know that just have these unbelievable food storages and they know survival skills right. and they're spending all that time, you know, learning those things, which I guess isn't necessarily bad, but maybe at the same time they're going into debt and, you know, could be using that time other ways. I, I agree with you. Um, I think it comes from a compassionate place. Well, I'm, all, I'm relieved that we all have plenty of time left to repent. All right. Let's move on to Elder Uchtdorf bringing it home here. Um, I just want to get... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Jesse, if you... No, go for it. Well, I just wanted to get your three's opinion on this, because it's just amazing to me, and, and I, I, I I love this talk, and, and there's not a talk by President Uchtdorf that I, I don't really like uh, for the most part, and it just seems like even on the Internet, for the most part, if you whoever you talk to, active member, semi-active, or not active at all, uh, ex-Mormon, they all seem to just latch onto the... I mean, what is it about President Uchtdorf? Uh, I mean, do you guys feel that way? Yeah, I think he's kind of the Mormon Richard Gere now. Just all the women love him. <laughs> that makes I him better? Yeah, I mean, he... Yeah. I don't know if it's because he's pretty new, and so he... It, you know, all the other general authorities, we've been listening to him for quite a while, and... Uh, and he's in a position in the first presidency now, and he talks twice a conference. And, and since he's pretty new, he's, uh, he's, as opposed to President Monson, who's been there 48 years, you know, he's always got new things to share and just new insights that you just, that's really clever, you know. And I don't know if it's that or if it's just because he's from Germany and he sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know. I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, clearly, I think he breaks the monotony up because he looks different. He sounds different. He seems like he's more polished than the others, uh, in, you know, not only in his appearance, but also in his delivery. But I, but I mean, I think it's content, too. I, uh, Michael, I'm with you. I actually really enjoyed this uh, talk, this whole concept of this paradox between, you know, our own nothingness and yet, you know, the universe is so big and, you know, we're nothing. But on the other hand, the whole purpose of it is for our existence and not to get pulled into the two extremes. I mean, you know, that's a message that a, that a Mormon could like, that a Catholic could like, that an atheist could like. It's very, very universal. And maybe that's partly what's appealing about him. He doesn't seem to bog down on some of the you know, archaea that some of the others do, some of the old school Mormon doctrines. He seems to have, you know, very practical things, but that seem to come, you know, really from a thinking person's point of view. Yep. Yeah, and he, he, 
I also got the, uh, one thing that I liked. Uh, you could pile up all the wealth in the world, and it would not buy a loaf of bread in the economy of heaven. He he hit on that a few times, saying, "Doesn't matter if you're the best pilot or the most prominent person, and if you're rich, or if you have a significant position in the church, uh, the Lord doesn't measure you the same way the world does." And I think that that just resonates with a lot of people. He doesn't care if you work in marble halls or stable stalls was one of the quotes that I liked. You know, I liked his quote, you are not invisible to God, no matter how insignificant you feel you are. And, I, you know, I think that's really important to a lot of these mom and pops that, you know, they're they're still on their ranch that Brigham Young sent them down to, you know, that their forefathers to work and they're just barely scraping by and doing their 10 percent. And, you know, but they're not you know they kind of see everything moving around them and but giving these people the feeling of hey you know god knows who you are god knows that you're valiant and god loves you yeah i I love the story of that couple too talking about the what what the the man who you know ultimately died in this industrial accident but he read his scriptures at work and i can't remember what he did but it seemed like it was some kind of you know blue collar job and just the incredible influence that he had. And I think that so often in Mormonism, when you think about, you know, people that are important or influential, you think about the brethren, you think about the first presidency. But here's this man that's much more along the type of a Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter, somebody who is lowly and meek in appearance, and yet through his actions had so much influence. I thought that was a a wonderful Christian message. I agree. I thought it was a, I thought it was a good talk. And um, I think Uchtdorf is one of the more pleasant uh, speakers to listen to. Well, I have, I have to say uh, this this may be bordering on too much too much complimentary information or positive for the Mormon expression audience. But uh, I remember he he actually came and spoke at as he was a, just a member of the seventy when I was on my mission, and I'd never heard of him before. And he at that time he just wowed me with what he had i don't remember what he talked about but i remember being impressed and i and i remember it ever until he was called to be an apostle and he seems to still be able to do that even you know when when i have a hard time sort of listening and and enjoying a lot of the other talks it just seems like it's recycled again and again and again Uh, but i can really sit down and listen to these and really enjoy it yeah, it was a great. It was a great talk. Did did all of you pick up on the part where he uh, announced that there was going to be one more season of Arrested Development made in advance of the movie? But that is nothing short of a general conference <laughs> miracle. No, I didn't. Shout, I didn't hear that, but it's true. Shout out yeah. to my friend Marcy for pointing that out to me. <laughs> all right, well, very good. Thank you all for joining us tonight, and if we will. Uh, Continue the discussion on the website at mormonexpression.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mormon Expression. This is Heather, and today I have assembled a quorum of friends to go over the Saturday afternoon session of General Conference. With us today is Greg. Hello, Greg. Hello. So happy to be back. I'm glad you're Lovely, lovely. Sabbath day. <laughs> is it the Sabbath? Yeah, the Saturday is Sabbath. the Sabbath, yeah. Huh. And then that voice that you just heard chime in there, that's Matt. Hello, Matt. Hey, Heather, looking to chime in more today. 
Great. And uh, you've been on a lot recently, right? You were on... It feels like that. Yeah. I was on the pornography one. Um, There's another one we're hoping to release soon, hopefully. Oh, you don't use those two things in the same context. (laughs) 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 Oh, how'd you do that? I I, I don't know. I think you always use those two things. (laughs) (laughs) And then that person who just chimed in there, that's Dustin. Hello, Dustin. Hello, hello. And you haven't been on since um, the criticism of the Book of Mormon musical, right? Yep, the critique. That's right. That's right. Which was that was the other one I was on. I was yeah, trying to remember. Yeah, that was, that's when I was going to say you were on Matt, Matt before the release comment came out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Greg, what were you saying about that? That podcast was flabbergastingly brilliant. So, if you haven't listened to it, you should. And we saw on uh, IMDb last night that they are indeed making a movie of the Book of Mormon musical with uh, the current Elder Cunningham and Price. Oh, that's brilliant. Very brilliant. Excitement. Yes, this I want the blog. Yes. Well. yes. And then we have um, also with us Erica. Hello, Erica. Hi. And you were most recently on, you've only been on one other episode, right? You were on the pornography in your in-laws episode. Correct. That was That's the first and only that I've been on. Right. All right. So today, like I said, we're going to be discussing um, the uh, afternoon session of General Conference for um, October 2011. Um, so to kick it off, we had speaking. Uh, now my notes are out of order. So, we sorry. Have- can I can I just bring up one point on the Saturday uh, afternoon? Is this just kind of the redheaded stepchild of conferences? I mean, this <laughs> this feels like this is the uh, lesser of all conferences. We don't even get a uh, first presidency re- representative speaking in the entire conference. What's up with that? Yeah, maybe. It you is know, a- well, the, the Saturday afternoon for me has always been the one where they do all the statistics. It's also where they do all the releases and the and the callings of new general authorities. It's always been kind of statistically pretty interesting. The Saturday one that they do in April is when they do the same statistics, but then they do they add all of the other numbers of the growth and all that on the Saturday afternoon session. I, I just feel like the brethren know that this is the one that most members are going to miss because people are out there catching their lawn and doing the laundry mm-hmm. or doing whatever in between because Saturday is a special day. <laughs> and so they figure, well, we'll show, throw this as just kind of a, as a, as a fluff a filler, off one that people can, uh, can have. So I feel a little uh, disappointed that this, that we get the old, the uh, redheaded stepchild uh, conference, but we'll, we'll press, press through. You know, okay, I want I want to press back just a little bit on that. Because Saturday afternoon being the time when the least people show up, I always felt like was the time Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon was the was the meat session of conference yeah. because it's the it's the faithful. Mm. It's, the people who, uh, it's the people who are, you know, who are actually giving up giving up their Saturday. Always MoTab and all the really fluffy, lovey-dovey stuff. Monson will speak. That's going to be tomorrow morning for sure. Right. But the Saturday it was like meat. Well, let, let's see which of us is right as we go through these talks, I guess. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, felt like this, I felt like this Saturday, I don't know, it just seemed pretty typical of every conference. It seemed like a good smattering of kind of everything that you usually get at a, at a session. So it seems I- pretty I agree with Erica. I was secretly, since I'm hosting this episode, I was secretly hoping for, you know, a controversy, another uh, Boyd Packer nightmare or something. Yeah, that was this morning. 
Yeah, so I missed out. I got just the regular old general conference topics. But anyway, the first uh, speech was or talk, I guess is what we say in Mormonism, was given by Elder Bednar, and he spoke about the prophet Elijah's promise and family history. What do you guys think? Yeah, it was a talk on family history. <laughs> I mean, that's well, uh, do do well, your genealogy. Yeah, but he emphasized the use of, uh, I mean, the youth getting involved in it. I thought that was a bit different. Yeah. I mean, typically, he, I mean, he he addressed head on that it's typically something that your grandparents or older folks get into. But he was talking about, you know, internet essentially has been created for you guys. And look at you guys have this texting and and tweeting. He even used the word tweeting uh, in his talk and encouraged the youth to get involved in doing family history, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, there's only so many times that the verb tweet has been used in general conference in history. This was one of them. So really, it's kind of a landmark talk in that regard. And did anyone else, was anyone else surprised? I didn't know that there was an LDS.org backslash, as he said, family history youth. Youth. I think it's new. I, I thought there were a couple of sort of end points that seemed interesting about it. I mean, of course... In my typical apostate fashion, I definitely caught the pointed reference to in 1820, which is absolutely the time when Joseph Smith had the first vision. He absolutely, at that moment, learned about the the, na- the true nature of the Godhead. But that aside, everything else was, you know, okay, you know, Elijah had children killed with bears and things. But then you, you got to the end, and you have, I think, what must be a really, really strong concern in the church right now of how to revitalize, how to get these kids involved, how to suck them in through, no, that's a bad, how to, how to involve them in the ways, I'm trying to be nice today. I'm really, I'm trying to be nice. How to involve them in ways that they understand how to get them with their technology. You know, their thumbs have evolved to text and tweet. They're specially, specially adapted to that and so you know you, <laughs> but it wasn't the law of evolution evolution it's a, didn't what are you talking? it's a feature of evolution and so there's no age limit you know we know this technology has come along specifically so that we can do the work of the lord there's that sort of geocentric mormocentric view of the universe that um these things all come about specifically for our purposes um and, of course, he talked about the intensifying influence of the adversary. It's very important to bring in the intensifying influence of the adversary in these talks. But, you know, I mean, they need to they need to figure out a way to turn kids into tithe pairs. And, and well, was, getting them involved in is important. I think it was interesting at the end how there was – I couldn't really say – tell exactly what he was saying. But when he was like, you need to let kids do that for themselves, I thought it, it was a it was a new was, twist. And I don't know if that's really what he wants, but it, it was a new twist that at the end saying, let's teach our kids good things. It was like, I don't know. There was, there was I, a little bit of a different um, feel that he was, we need to well, let our kids think. It didn't. Well, I, wrote, I wrote down here, he did, he did talk about spend more time in genealogy. And if you're going to be on the computer, kind of uh, use it for, for those purposes rather than all the time on, on social media. So what I took from that was a recognition that these kids are on the computer, they're on Facebook, they're on all these, all these sites. And if he can get them on the other, the genealogy sites and some of these other things that will take their time away from that and their their attention over there and they'll be safer there so that's kind of where i see those things 
relating. They, they, they can be on their own and let them do these things on their own. Uh, but hopefully they're doing those things, the genealogy and the, the LDS slash uh, genealogy, Facebook, whatever, um, mormon.org instead of uh, mormonexpressions.com. Oh, I just typed in the LDS.org uh, Family History Youth uh, URL, and, and look whose video pops up. Elder Bednar, right there. What is This surprise. must be his new baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's an unveiling of a new thing going on here. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, I thought that this, I mean, through the whole conference, there was kind of a theme of, of Internet usage and, like, oh, yeah. how kids, you know, stop wasting your time. And I thought this was a, there was kind of two sides of it, because Bednar said, well, all of these kids know how to use the internet and know how to use all these, you know, computers and technology and old people don't. So let's fuse their, you know, their, their abilities together to do genealogy, which I think was, it was putting a positive twist to technology, whereas some others were saying so much. Yeah. Agreed. So it was I do, I do have to add that like, like Greg, when I was listening to him uh, quote uh, about the visitation of Moroni and him quoting uh, Malachi and all that, my mind started being very uncorrelated and thinking, was it, was it Moroni or was it Nephi? <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was that first vision and, in 1820 or 1823, 24? I can never remember. Yeah. And then I started thinking about the quotes and it was it King James version. Was it with the errors yeah. or not? Errors? <laughs> I thought that was clever. I thought that was, was really was clever. He, he, wrote it? he slipped in this like, and Moroni spoke to him in the language of the King James version so yeah. that he could, you know, exactly. I mean, like it was really, that was really, I, I was, I was kind of giving him little, little, little finger claps there at the, that he was, <laughs> that was clever. But it's a talk extremely boring. Once the family yeah, history, pretty, genealogy, I'm out. It was no preserving pickles talk. Let's just put no. it on. <laughs> so the next uh, talk was um, Neil Anderson. Oh and- boy. All right. I got to stand for this. Here we go. Yeah, he is. This is going to be the fun one. This is my hot button. (laughs) Yeah, hot button. He was the uh, throwback to you got to start popping out kids and don't wait to do it guy. Right, but he does it by we're not going to get involved in there. It's inconsistent, and he's and he's and he's very. uh, just, just very manipulative in how he does it because he leads with. Yeah, the, he, just, he just contradicts himself throughout the entire talk. Absolutely right. Well, he, you have it's a chiasmus. I mean, we all reckon it was a chiasmic <laughs> form. It really <laughs> was. He began and ended with the same thing. So this nice squishy yeah. beginning, and then this quote: "When to have kids." This is a paraphrase of the quote: "When to have kids and how many kids are private decisions between a couple and the Lord." And I wrote in my notes after that, "Yay!" with lots of exclamation. And he says it twice. And he says it twice. And he says it at the end. He goes in with that, and he comes back out with that. It's totally chiast. I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah. But Matt, then, I want to hear what you have. Is it go, go, I want to hear you. No, no, no. So, so yeah, he leads. He leads with that. That's exactly what he says. And I said the same thing. Finally, they're they're going to emphasize this, and he reverts back to the same crap uh, yeah. that they have doing for years which is don't wait and what's the example he gives right after that right he says you know this is a decision to be made in private with great faith and and prayerfully but then he jumps to this anecdote and it's the most insidious and damaging one that he could possibly jump to and that's somebody preparing for graduate school in this case med school right And they have already made the decision. She's going to work. They're going to put off having kids so that they can get through medical school. And he winds up in front of Spencer W. Kimball, this this to-be doctor. And Spencer W. Kim- Kimball looks at him and very 
uh, that, that was very dramatic. Where's your faith? He says, well, a year later, we had a child. That's the crowd out there. That's that funny. Funny, but, funny yeah. joke. So right? and, go ahead. And it's just damaging and, and, like I said, insidious that now the message that he's sending to these kids is, oh, here's an example from about, what, 60 years ago? Because they showed a picture of that dude, and he's, he's old now. So 60 years ago, uh, ago, this guy who's now a doctor was able to do it. Nothing's changed in the education uh, cost or, or otherwise since the, the, you know, 60 years ago to today, you can do it. You can do it too. And people are going to make decisions based on this that they're going to pay for for the rest of their life. Oh man, this is Woo! one of those things. Yeah, he, he harks back to the, the, the commandment being multiply and replenish. And the, and the, and the brethren in the church taught all the way up until the nineties. It wasn't until Hinckley that I recall where, where things started changing that this man, woman, and the Lord concept was actually spoken from the pulpit. I think Elder Oaks gave a talk in the 90s about it right before I got married, talking about it's a decision between the man, woman, and the Lord. Uh, Hinckley talked about that. Meanwhile, Benson, I mean, Benson was always talking about birth control was it was wrong. It was uh, part of a communist plot to control uh, population and all that type of stuff. And so, yeah, so this talk here, I was completely confused because he goes back to the old rule, but then he brings in the new rule, and all the anecdotes are about the old rule. He, there's never a situation where someone wrestled with having kids or not put them off and they actually turned out okay there's that side is never ever ever emphasized the double speak uh, that i have a problem with is he gives people like say me or, or other people who might might hold hold the opinion that i do uh a little nugget that they can point to see so he's he's you know this this fork speaking with a forked tongue and giving something to everyone and in doing so he muddies the waters and yeah. uh and, and and causes confusion not clarity well, I kind of want to hear what Erica has to say on this issue because I am in my 30s and married to an, uh, an atheist. And, well, I'm an atheist too myself. So there's not many people in my family or the, around me putting pressure on me to have children now that I'm married. And the rest of you all have, you know, you're married with kids. So I'm kind of interested. Erica, you're in your early 20s and you're married. Are you, do you feel this pressure? Have you, is this something that's like an active issue in your life? No, but I think that has to do, I mean, we've only been married a year and we're both in school. And so I think we haven't had pressure because A, we're both the youngest of big families and B, my family's pretty liberal at putting education first. And so that's not something of pressure that I feel, but I mean, definitely I grew up in Provo, you know, like there's definitely that feeling of like, there's still a little bit of a, of a, you know, women need to I don't, well, what I felt about this is he never outright said it like Julie Beck has said in the past, but there's this underlying tone of the motherhood calling. And oh, no, how, he said that. He said that. Sorry. Okay, he said, to, okay. But it, was, wasn't a, it wasn't a it wasn't a focus, but it was underlying the whole time. Because, you know, like with that doc, with the medical student, if he's in school and they're having a kid, that means that the wife is full-time mom, you know, like they basically made the decision for the wife. Like how much does the doctor have to give up? You know, the doctor, the medical student. Right. Cause he connects having kids or, or putting off kids with her continuing to work. Those were, those two things were uh, synonymous. Yeah. So right. I think my, my biggest problems, I mean, I like Neil Anderson. I like, I generally think he's he's just such a like lovable guy and the whole time it was so hard to listen to him. Not anymore, he's, he's dead to me. 
<laughs> well, after this talk, kind of, because he's so ignorant that women now want to do things with their lives as well as have children. And like, I don't see the world saying, oh, kids are, you know, below going to the gym. Like, I don't see that at all. It's just. I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious that he, he actually went and used the first couple, Adam and Eve, as an example of family planning. I mean, <laughs> there was several examples of that. He's, yeah, Adam and Eve, Lehi and Sariah, and then uh, Moses's parents, and then this couple, these octogenarians as well. <laughs> There's no one in this century. Yeah, like, uh, like Adam and Eve, you know, Eve decided to forego an IUD back in the Garden of Eden <laughs> so that right. she could so have a lot of babies. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, I, I understand they're trying to encourage families people to have families but it did it just seemed to be out outdated incredibly outdated by going to these ancient families um to deal with this issue and, and yeah, like Matt, i, I caught that too the double Go ahead, what was that it was just, it's the double speak it's saying the commandment is multiply and replenish the earth and then the next sentence say how uh, when and how is between the man and woman and the lord and then all of the anecdotes deal with the when and how and only the when right. and how has to be the first rule which is because, multiply i'm like because so he does when and how but he does say one thing and when he says you know it's it's between you and it's and it's a private decision he says but it has to it requires the exercise of great faith so right there he does set off of, of saying but you're going to have to exercise great faith because you're going to have to basically start having kids before you're you're ready. And I love this concept and all these examples of, of Lehi in the wilderness and, and uh, Adam and Eve and, and whomever is this idea that having kids in turmoil, right, in, in personal turmoil and in family turmoil, it, that's really going to help. And that's really going to make things strong. I, I feel like this, you know, single or the, this 18 year old who thinks, well, I'm going to I'm going to get knocked up because then he'll love me because because that's that's what I feel like they're saying there. You know, turning a bad situation worse by adding adding kids. Well, make sure you can handle the turmoil. And not just say, well, let's add a kid to the turmoil, and that'll make everything better. I think it's really, I agree completely with that. I think it's really, really important to point out that in every single example that he pointed out, and Heather, I'm going to step in and be the feminist for you, because I know you, I know you, well, <laughs> Go you for it. you're concerned about your feminism, but in every single example he gave, so we start off with it's a decision between the man, the woman, and the Lord. Every decision, it was the man that received the revelation. Yep. Yes. It was the priesthood leader that decided and that said, you should <laughs> right. do this. It was the patriarch in the scriptures. The yes. woman in the examples never had a Absent. single bit of input. And I want to say it's a fairly recognized fact, albeit worldly, so evil, that the greatest advances for women in the world have come because of being able to take control of their reproduction. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to advance the cause of women, if you want women to have better lives and children to have better lives, give women control of their reproduction, not their husbands, not the guy in the collar or in the white shirt and tie in our case. Um, That's just so distressing to me. Amen. Yeah, I agree with you there. Just because I don't necessarily claim feminism for myself doesn't mean I don't see those things. And I, I I'm totally know where you're coming from. Oh, I know, it's fine. There are two things that I wanted to throw out there. And one is just a personal beef that has always really annoyed me. When I was in college, uh, I don't remember if it was Oaks or Monson, but one of them came out and said, have you, gave this message basically, have your children along the way. Just because you're in college doesn't mean you can't get married and have children. 
And I had friends and family members who got married before they were ready and started having children using Medicaid and food stamps and, you know, state welfare so they could finish their schooling and have all these children. I had, I have a cousin who had four children by the time her husband was done with, with uh, his architecture program. And every single one of them was born on Medicaid and they lived on food stamps and WIC. Exactly. And yeah, I wished, I wished that I had that luxury. I got student loans instead. And so every month, I'm paying an effing check because I was doing what my profit, I thought the profits were telling me to do 10 years ago uh, in starting a family. My wife quits. And instead of going on uh, food stamps and those other things, uh, I worked through law school. You went into debt. Yeah, I got into debt and I worked through law school, which I wasn't supposed to do my first year. So those are the decisions that that they drove me to where somebody should have grabbed me by the scruff of my neck and said, you can wait a few years to have kids. You know, my wife's a professional. She's a teacher. And so she had a job. She had, there was, you know, they make so much money. So, you know, we were flush with cash. So, but, (laughs) but we we could have gotten by that way, but instead I followed the profit and as a result in paying, I don't know how much in interest as a result. Right. It puts a lot of burden on people. And it also makes people like, I personally went, when I was in college, it used to really make me angry that my cousins and my friends were considered the righteous good ones when they were going against other church, you know, theology or whatever. not going into debt. Yeah, and, that, and being, being fiscally responsible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was trying to be responsible, and I was the sinner and the selfish one, and it really used to tick me off. And there's another interesting aspect to that. When I first moved down here to Utah, there was a little bit of a news sensation about how many BYU students are on Medicaid and food stamps and stuff. And nobody ever made the connection. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And there was a guy who was doing a morning talk show down here who drove me crazy. And I'm not even going to say his name because it's not worth it. But I called into his radio show and he told me basically that those people are doing it wrong and that God will provide a way and you don't have to rely on the government. But I think that Matt has illustrated that that is also not not an effective method. And, and the irony of ironies for me is I have two, let's say, family members that also did that and were, were subsidized housing and WIC and, and, and all the, all the uh, welfare benefits you could get. They are now the two most hard conservative Tea Party, party right. anti tax, anti government. <laughs> oh, I just yeah. You bet. Want you to bet. scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that's atypical. Well, you know, no, there was not. that, there was that controversy over, um, maternity leave recently and some conservative news pundit got into it with some other person about how she had gone on maternity leave and um oh yeah i saw that john stewart yeah john yeah the fox lady yeah and john stewart picked it up and you know kind of lampooned her and then pointed out that when it's something you want to use it's considered like a function of the greatest country on the world, but when it's a service other people want, it's socialism and, you know, government overreaching mm-hmm. and the welfare state and all of that. But um, well, the other, I think the, I think the important part of what we're saying is, you know, if kids, I mean, if younger people feel like they want to have kids, then there are services that can help them do that. But if they're making the decision because someone in a suit is telling them to, and they think that's, what's good for them. That's a big problem. I agree. Well, see the, the part, one of the bigger problems with the talk is that we're focusing on is it doesn't address anything that is current. 
the current situation, it, the current realities. It doesn't help anyone that hears this talk because all it emphasizes is the commandment is multiply and replenish. But the decision between you and your and your partner and 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 the Lord and here's the answer: have kids. Right. I mean, that, you, that, it doesn't give any. It doesn't it address any of the the nuances. It doesn't address any of the, the particularities of, of of decisions that people have to make about taking out student loans and things like and that. And these are modern day prophets. These are people right. who are supposed to be insightful into what's going on now and even future. And that's exactly it, Dustin. They can't they can't provide a real real modern example or a practical advice today. They fall back to the forty years ago. Well, I but have. I, I think there's a reason that this talk was given, and I think it's a valid concern that the church leadership has. I don't mean people I are th- putting off having kids. N- well, no, well that's part of it. But I've recently read a few things and watched a few documentaries about declining populations, especially mm-hmm. in the Western world. And right. there's an interesting thing going on where in Europe and a lot of places you've got level population. You do not have a growing population, and then in places like Japan you have a dwindling population. And so here we are in America and we, we still have a positive population growth, but we're slowly edging towards not having population growth. And you've also got, so you've got that going on and you've got um, missionary problems, right? Like the conversion rate to Mormonism via missionaries is leveling off. Like that's not been a reliable source of growth within the last few years. So you've got, no new members coming in that the way. The baptism versus the eight-year-old baptism. Yeah, yeah. You've got especially no especially in the U.S. Right. You've got no new Europe. people coming in via missionary work, and you've got you know population growth leveling off, and these people are worried. Like we're not growing. The church is not growing. We need these people to like realize they need to have more kids so the church keeps growing. On, on this topic, Heather, also, where the church is growing, it's in Africa and it's in Latin America. Right. We really want to encourage all these third world countries, these couples, keep having babies. You can't feed the ones you have, but you have the church, but you right. can't, you can't take care of them. I but agree. this is the commandment to multiply and replenish. But we in the United States, we're going to manage this and we're going to do our own thing. I always, I, I just always felt that it was a little bit irresponsible to be preaching such a, a doctrine in countries, in third world countries. And, and what a great example, once again, of the general conference that's broadcast to the masses, right, that is really only uh, targeting people in the Wasatch Front, maybe people, well, people in the U.S., right, or well, middle-class white America. Affluent, educated white American who's thinking about right. going to med school. It's not the it's not the the person down in Guatemala that can barely keep his roof over his hut, and he's trying to feed his family. And, he, and, and he's it's not even the lower – those people in America that that have that are really struggling, that are that are in poverty or lower socioeconomically situated, it's not even to them. So they're missing millions and millions and millions of their members, and it's, it, that's where it gets offensive. And they say you're not insightful and you're not a prophet because you're speaking to, uh, you're you literally are speaking to the choir. So Eric, oh, do you have something? Where is your faith, Matt? Where, <laughs> is, <laughs> where is my Matt, faith? The choir was way too young to be thinking about this stuff. <laughs> oh, see, that's who they're speaking. That's what. That's the point. That is exactly who they're speaking to. Kids yeah, yeah. who yeah. are developing and are gonna gonna hear this message when they, you know, in ten years and be doing it. So that's what I mean when I say literally. I really meant literally. I'm not one of those guys that use figuratively when I mean, or literally <laughs> when I mean figuratively. So he was literally speaking to the primary kids. <laughs> Erica, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to ask you, Heather, when you were talking about the numbers in the church, did you, do you, do you, um, do you think that 
uh, Neil Anderson was really thinking, you know, that was like subconsciously, I'm going to talk about uh, having more kids because our numbers are down. Um, I think it's a, I think there are a number of problems that are on the plate of the general authorities right now. One of them is that young people are leaving the church and that's not just Mormons. That's all religion. Young people are leaving and they've got problems with conversion rates and missionary work and they're worried about the future. I mean, personally, when I watch the documentary about um, population growth, there are countries that have very, very, very positive population growth numbers, and they're the Middle East and India and South America. And so to me, it seemed like hand-wringing that the middle-class white culture is going away and is going to be replaced by, you know, not white people. So it didn't really scare me all that much. But I think that on the surface, it could be a problem that worries the general authorities in general. Okay. But maybe Neil Anderson has a granddaughter who's insisting on going to grad school. And so that's why he gave the talk. I don't know. Absolutely. I I, want to say, I think for the most part with most of the rhetoric, he's just on autopilot. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like innovative in the doctrine. He was talking about it happens to be pertinent for the reasons that you're talking about, Heather. Um, it's so we're on top of the watchtower sipping lemonade, not really looking around at anything that's happening, but, um, you know, that's, I've grown accustomed to that. Well, and you talk about being on autopilot and I think that's reflected in the last kind of the throwaway lines of, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, women who want to get married, uh, and have kids because there's no possible men who may want to get married and have kids, right? If they're single, they're just living the life. That's kind of their concept, but whatever. So the women who, who want to get married and have kids and the couples who can't have kids, it, it's okay. Um, the Lord knows. You'll get you. yours. The Lord's thinking about right. you. Right. Which is just bullcrap because all the people that I know that are in the, that situation feel like second-class citizens uh, in the church. I mean, believing, true believing uh, members who are in that situation. So they, they deserve more than just a throwaway line uh, after an eight-minute talk on everyone should be having kids. All right. So before we spend our entire hour talking about that, we should probably move on to the next talk. <laughs> There's nothing else to talk about. The rest is all just <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Atonement, blah, blah, blah. So oh, then we, come on. We had Ian Arn, Ar, and we have controversy over how to say this last name, Ian Ardern. And he spoke about time management and using your time wisely. Do you yeah, guys have any gum. thoughts on it? Bubble gum. Well, like, actually, okay. Before, oh, yes, sort of bubblegum. But I go to the very last points. And, and he had a nice beehive tie. That was one thing I noticed, you know. But um, uh, today, he says, today is a good day to review what you are doing to prepare for immortality and eternal life. And I think about this a lot because I, I'm, I'm fascinated with economics. And I think about this idea of making choices with what to do with your life. And like... Uh, if you are preparing, I really think this is a real factor. If you are preparing in this life for an eternity of time spent with your family, um, then your concept of scarcity of time is, is disturbingly influenced by, uh, by that concept. And so I think about how your life is different if you think that you, if that this life is this, preparatory time to prepare for the longer stretch when, you know, 
then you'll actually get to spend time with your kids and family and wife and everything, as opposed to you think this life is it. This is life. This life is what I know I have. I'm not going to say that I don't, you know, what, what comes after that? I don't know. But when I know that this life is what I know I have, my decisions about how I spend that time and how I regard that time, and because time all of a sudden becomes scarce, it becomes a scarce economic commodity. Um, I, it affects, it affects your, I think it affects your, your actions and your thinking quite a bit and your appreciation of the preciousness of life. That's an interesting take. Well, that went from bubblegum to very deep real quick. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, I, because that you're, that's, that's because that's your take. And that was actually, that is my perspective <laughs> as, as well. But the, the real point is just, and, and it is bubblegum, it says use your time wisely. We know what that mean it, means is uh, use your time doing anything church-related as possible right. for the very reasons you say, Greg, which is, uh, because you have all the time in the world after you die, you'll have eternity to do all these other things. So spend time in your callings and at the temple and 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 with these other things. And so it is this this kind of shift in perspective when when he says use your time wisely. What he means is spend time doing church stuff. I didn't. I didn't get. I, this was one talk that I thought I he talked mostly about like prayer and your relationship with God, and that's that's a lot different than then uh the attitude of like make sure you visiting teach and home teach and make sure you fulfill your callings i thought i actually really liked his uh tone of saying you know i mean we probably all spend a little bit too much time on the internet and he addressed that but there's a little bit too much emphasis on that anyway but and he was saying you know spend more time you know meditating and it seemed more personal to like god and not just like uh, serve to the church. That, that, that's the impression that I got. I thought it was different than what you typically get from conferences, nice which is that. Yeah, he spoke about you know setting aside the the compulsive compulsive fingertip communication and and the false impression of of being busy and productive uh, mm-hmm. using social media and things like that. I, I I got the sense that he wanted us to kind of tune those things out for a bit and pray, focus on family, and do some other things as well. But I, I can't deny that some of those other things are serving in the church and dedicating yourself. Probably, but it didn't, it didn't seem as as clear or translucent. It seemed more he was he was concerned about people spending time, like tuning tuning God out and tuning right. uh, uh, texting in or Twitter in. Which you know, if you're a religious authority, it sounds like a good thing to say. You know, I I. I so I thought it was he got a he got a good laugh on his Angry Birds joke. He beat the addiction. He's so hip. Yeah, I mean that was really hip. He, he beat the uh, he managed to get the word addictive into his talk a few times because mm-hmm. you know the the danger of addiction of any kind to Mormons is I mean just beyond all reason we can be addicted at the drop of a hat. But I, <laughs> there's another thing. Do you know that the slippery slope? Right next to the the slippery slope is like about an inch long, and then there's the cliff of addiction from which you can never come back, and that could be to anything. But um, I there's this interesting conversation that I hear happening inside and outside of the church regarding technology and Facebook and chatting and all these things, which assumes that this is all fake. And I and I keep wondering about that and saying, you know. I don't know. I think, I think it's kind of amazing that I am allowed to and able to have human interactions, which I would argue pretty strongly that human interactions are the thing that make us most happy in life. 
that human interactions and our relationships with other humans are the substance and the beauty and joy of our life, along with food and, of course, sex. But, um, well, I mean, those and those to me are very wrapped up in that. But um, but so we discount this idea of like I'm chatting online with somebody who is my friend right. <laughs> who and I'm sharing my life with them in a deliberate way in a, and I don't know that I think that the medium just because it's Facebook or just because it's electronic. I don't know that I think the medium actually discounts that I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for that right now because I have a better system of support and friends than I've ever had in my life as an apostate. My life is fantastically filled with support and friends and love because of all of that. I am not an island drifting in um, okay. my black-hearted apostasy. Well, and he, and he, you know, kind of undercuts the, the social media and, and those things. But at the same time, we've got this rollout of it, be active Family on history Facebook. You. And yeah. People, yeah, you've got that. And then here, here in, in Arizona, at least I know they've been pushing in, in other areas, right? This, the Mormon.org profile, get that up there, get on Facebook, encouraging 14 and 16 year olds to do these, these things. So on the one hand, they're, they're saying, yeah, you really shouldn't use those things, but then they're pushing it and saying, you must be on there and you should be you know, preaching the gospel through these, uh, these mediums. Well, yeah. a, sorry. I think it's a, I think it's a reaction that they don't really, they don't really know what's going on on Twitter and Facebook. You know, it's, it's the unknown. It's, I think Greg's point of connecting with people, like I spoke in Twitter, my sister all the time and we would never talk normally, you know, like she's in Utah and like because of Twitter and Facebook, we get to share uh all of these things and that that wouldn't happen without them so i think it's just an old generation not understand how we're communicating so i think greg you're totally right yeah that was my only beef with the talk as well that it's the stereotypical the internet internet relationships aren't valid aren't real type of thing and i completely disagree with it as well i'll come back to bubblegum <laughs> so before we go on to the next talk, I wrote down um between this spe- uh, talk and the next one, the choir which was made up of primary children sang praise to the man. And when I was a believer, I loved that song. But I did too. I still do. I can't even help it. I I It's upbeat. And, and watch, it's looking at sing. those kids, I mean I, I was uh, that's what struck me as watching the kids sing the song. Mhm. Yeah. Did you guys find it creepy? <laughs> For My eleven-year-old son was singing it along with him. Who is Joseph? You know, I mean, what were you going to uh, say, so I Justin? Think, I think for all of us, there. When I was watching these kids sing the song, for me, um, I I was just imagining when I was younger and how I my my impression of of Joseph Smith and Praise the Man and all the things in that song, and and that being all I knew of Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at these kids and and thinking about how I felt. You know, just all these warm fuzzies. And then when you find out there's a whole lot more to his story, what are these kids going to do then? Like same I did thing probably. we did. <laughs> yes. And so it, that it, that was the impression I got is like I I just saw the kids singing the songs, and and I thought about how innocent they are and how simple that that. Uh, message of who Joseph Smith is, and and, and then the, the ultimate reality of his his complexities. Yeah, right. And I I I just reflected to like Jesus Camp, and that's how it kind of felt up there. It just felt creepy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, 
Uh, oh shoot, what's his name? The God Delusion guy, um, Richard Dawkins. Thank you, Richard Dawkins. Just says that we, there are no Mormon children. There are children of Mormon uh, parents, or you know, and and ex- there are no Jewish children and Catholic children. Their their parents happen to be a certain religion, and these are children who are in those homes. And that's that was what I kept thinking of as these kids were singing with such fervor. Yeah. Funny, go ahead. Funny anecdote that's somewhat related. Last night, John Stewart came to uh, IU, and he was talking about how he's, you know, how he's Jewish and his wife is Catholic, and he said, "So we're raising our children to be sad." (laughs) 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 This is hilarious. (laughs) Confused little children. So the next um, talk was by Carl Cook, and um, it was about looking up instead of looking down and it was basically about looking to the prophet and looking to the savior and basically that your worries are minimal and you should stop worrying about them this this is a great example of what i find maddening about conference talks is a a person who takes the most innocuous exchange with a a church leader and acts as if this Thomas Monson, in this case, it was an elevator. He's looking down and the prophet comes in, right? Thomas Monson comes in and says, why are you looking down? Look up. You should always look up. And he extrapolates that to as if this was just some great teaching message that the prophet gave him. And if anything, this is something he created on his It was his an own. inspired encounter. It was divine. It was meant to be. <laughs> right. It, but, but, in the but it was it was just a throwaway line from from the Monson's perspective, I submit. And this guy kind of created this thing, and 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 it was such a great teaching example. And and what he was teaching me was this, and he just went on this this multi layered uh, concept that was being taught with him, saying, "Ah, oh, you should look up instead of looking down." And it just this is an example of of creating something out of nothing, um, and creating the 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 wondrous out of. Uh, the innocuous that the members of the church are so fond of doing and so good at. Uh, you quite that, you, that's the whole tradition of Joseph Smith. You just took all of the joy <laughs> out of Mormonism. You people have black, black hearts. <laughs> like, well, I also, one of the, that is I, Joseph I look, Smith in a nutshell. <laughs> I had to look up this elder cook because I wanted to see who he was because I didn't recognize his face and he had this very uh, charming kind of demeanor and he was just called as a general authority last april and so this was a this was a recent i'm assuming very recent experience if he's just walking out um and he had just been called as a general authority because he said that i got the sense it was almost like a boasting moment hey the prophet said this to me uh six months ago when i was walking out of church headquarters and i bumped into you know tommy you know and this is what he told me <laughs> and so it, for that that was kind of what i gathered from it just because of his expression on his face when he said it as well i had just been called as a general authority and you know and i and this is what this person said. And then he revealed to us who it was. It was the prophet. Right. And and with that, uh, Dustin, that's exactly right. The, 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 my other least favorite thing is, is the feigned humility, right? And he had the throwaway line of, oh, I'm, I'm sure that, that uh, my response to him uh, really gave him confidence in my abilities. Ha, 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 ha. Well, you were just... Yeah, a little bit of self-deprecation. Right. But in the same... It's self-deprecating, but yet self-aggrandizing at the same 
time. It's kind of when these guys talk about how great I am amazed at the talent of these brethren to be able to rub shoulders with such great men is so humbling. Wait a minute. I think you just elevated yourself when you did that. And that's, well, it was anyone, that, that. anyone that's going to listen, listen to his talk needs to go and watch it online if they can't, because you, you don't, you don't get all of what we're saying. You see his expressions. I thought I was bitter and black hearted and you guys are really, <laughs> you're really making me feel so <laughs> much better. <laughs> Uh, Matt and I were seeing through this. I'm like, you're not. You're That's not right. It's the, 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 the nasty black-hearted lawyers, I guess, is what it is. <laughs> I wrote down, nice talk, unobjectionable. <laughs> yeah, I think well, you guys need to go review your temple ordinances. <laughs> you're speaking ill of the you, Lord's anointed. You, you first, Heather. <laughs> I don't have temple ordinances, thank you. She's married to an atheist. <laughs> theme of uh, I think the ultimate very optimistic look up theme was good, but there was just all these other little things that kind of went along with it. Right, I thought he was going to be doing a be positive, and this was going to be the message on the heels of the time message, both of which are very fine, uh, innocuous messages. Right, do do more with your time, be productive, and then be positive. But that's not what it was. It was look up, and then it became follow the prophet. This is a follow the prophet talk. Um, when it could have been a, hey, it's really important to be positive when you're when you're feeling down and you might be feeling melancholy, be positive. That's not what it was. It was follow the prophet. Next, we had Legrand <laughs> Curtis, and he spoke about the role of the redeemer. Bubblegum again, Matt. Yeah, it was. It was just an. an uh, this was our chance to talk about Jesus. It's atonement. Repent. I mean, it was. There was really no typical. substance there. But but it was a chance to say, look, we do believe in Jesus. We believe in repentance. Um, Although, wait a minute, I did have something. He mentioned grace. I want to say he had just read Believing Christ. I would bet money that he just read Believing Christ in the last six months. Because that's really what his talk was just a repackaged, nice version of Stephen Robinson's Believing Christ. Yeah, except he goes on this tear of kind of inactivity and or, or going out towards yeah, inactives and kind of equating that to those who need to be redeemed. And I thought that kind of reinforced the, the stereotype of if you're an inactive, it means you're you're succumbing to certain behaviors and certain habits. So that yeah. part I didn't like about it, but all in all, yeah, hey, we need we all need to repent and, and, and he does say that even those who aren't sinning still need to repent. And so yeah, I, I agree with you that it was very Stephen uh, Stephen Robinson. And and that you bring up an interesting point. It, everyone who is inactive is just sitting at home waiting for the home teachers to come along so we can go, oh, you need me. You want me. You, re- you like me. You really do like me. <laughs> and so that we can go back into full fellowship. And I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to I don't I'm kind of waiting to I don't actually my home teacher still comes by, but we just eat cheese and, <laughs> and fruit and stuff. But um, it's. So, oh, I did want to bring up one other thing. So he talks about stories of redemption. This is a totally personal thing. I have always loved looking for stories of redemption. So like from a literary literary standpoint, it used to be one of my favorite things. And I just want to point out that Pulp Fiction, the movie, Quentin Tarantino, is one of the grandest stories of redemption ever produced. I encourage everyone to go out and watch it. Look for the story of redemption. It's there. It's fabulous. That's all I have to say. I just checked it out from the library. I'll think about redemption as I watch it. You, wait, you haven't seen Pulp Fiction yet, I know, Erica? I know. I'm a little scared of that statement, actually. I'm young. Remember, I'm only 23. I've seen Kill Bill. I've seen other Quentin Tarantino's. Oh, you have not seen a Quentin Tarantino film until you've seen Pulp Fiction. Hey, I oh, have yeah. 
Oh, okay. Let's let's not rag on you. Right. Fine, my you have final, it. You're going to watch it. My final missionary companion in the field came to me and told me about this fabulous movie that I had to watch as soon as I got home. So I went home and watched Pulp Fiction. A rated R movie. Mm. What? What? Huh? What? What are you talking about? So the next one was Todd Christofferson. And, oh, uh, D. D. Todd. D. Todd Christofferson. <laughs> I'm sorry for my lapse into apostate language. Um, and he basically spoke about repentance and about yeah. how horrible right horror kind of was. On the heels of he 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 now does a disservice to the uh, previous talk, basically I think, uh, which was which was fairly uh, positive, and and I found this yeah. one a little more negative. But it's but you're gonna get see this is where you're gonna get the members, and I could see it as it was happening. Is I c- I can hear one of my family members, well, you know, they sure are talking a lot about repentance in this conference. Wonder what that means. They had you in mind. It means that 95.7% of the church, including the women, is all watching porn this afternoon. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know that there's much more. That's to not say. the apostates. That's the active people. Of the course. A hundred percent of apostates are watching porn. No, actually, we're kind of over it. We don't have that kind of social pressure. We don't have that kind of guilt pressure that actually amps the behavior. But so. what other reason would you have for leaving the church other than sin, Greg? You're watching porn. Admit it. Blatant, blatant homosexuality. <laughs> no, but I... Uh, anyway, sorry. I'm not. Oh it, not that there's he does anything. a list. He does, he does these lists, and they like to do these lists, right? To yeah. Try to, yeah. Five-point plan. There's always... Oh, but did you guys, you guys are skipping all of I, what I thought was the media stuff at the very beginning when he identifies... The whore, whore, whore. Yes. And he identifies their philosophies, these philosophies of yes. Right. Yes. I, mean, that's, that's, I thought it was interesting. Universalism is wrong. Universalism. Social Darwinism, libertarianism, right. moral rel- of- relativism, right. Relativism, yeah. Yeah, relativism, what is right and wrong. And, he, and when he says, you know, if, if you subscribe to these, you I mean, you can do anything. Like you're going to go out and do everything bad if you don't have uh, these the, the other teachings. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He does I, lay I, that I, out as if, again, the, the modern philosophies of men, bad, antichrist, uh, everything yeah. else, you know, church teaching is good. One of, the, one of the few notes that I wrote down about that talk was that he said that it's appealing and I'm paraphrasing here, but that those philosophies are appealing and the idea that God doesn't exist is appealing because then it leaves us open and free to do whatever we want and to commit right. whatever sin we want because that's the only yes. reason I might have doubts about the existence of God. You don't have the idea of God, you're only going to go out and do bad things. Exactly. Right. Yeah, totally. All right, Eric. Well, is he- but isn't that true? Isn't well, that what you guys- of course. I've become such a debauched sinner since being an atheist, you don't even know. Don't you? I mean, at all of your apostate parties, don't you have kitten stomps and stuff? Yes, kitten stomps. <laughs> well, I do. I do tell all my true believing friends. I say, you know, on the on the one hand, I have a ten percent pay increase. So on the other hand, I'm not really looking forward to all the gay sex because <laughs> I'm because I'm not gay. But you have to do it if you see that. Yeah. It's the heroin that's really bringing me down. <laughs> Oh, Eric, I'm sorry. Before, I subjected you to this. Talk, before he gets into talking about uh, repentance, he starts talking about sin. And I, I'm always intrigued when we start talking, when they start giving talks about repentance and, and what sin is. Because uh, my experience, as I've studied more and more the past few years, is that sin seems to be, the definition of what a sin is seems to be relative in the church as well. There are certain things that we know today that aren't considered as sinful as they were even 30 or 40 years ago, or 10 years ago. I mean, we've, we've all seen the, what, the 1982 letter about about 
or oral sex. Oral sex. That, that, yeah. that was a sin at one point, and, that, and now right. it's not. But at some point, there was someone that had a lot of guilt about that. That was a Absolutely. sin, and they needed to repent. And he outlines this whole aspects and process of repenting. Um, yeah. But the, what what the church deems to be a sin at one point in time is different than another. So what, doesn't that speak to relativism? <laughs> Actually, I believe that the church is morally relative. I, I believe strongly that the church is, by default, uh, believes absolutely in moral relativism because we believe that God will judge us based on us, not based on us, uh, a rule. And so God is going to base us on our circumstances, on our person, on our background, on our strengths, on our weaknesses. There could not be anything more morally relativist than that. So I'm not going to hell for my kitten stomping. No. Well, well, no, you no. are. You are, <laughs> but Greg's not. Right, one of the that's fundamentals. Just because you're a female and naturally are more uh, nurturing, and you know better, Greg. He's a guy. You expect that from them. See? Okay, Dustin had a point, and then we need to let Erica speak. What were you going to say, Dustin? I was going to say continuing revelation. Isn't the whole idea of continuing revelation relative? It's it's always changing. Right. Right. Fourteen fundamentals in effect. Yep. Right. So, there Erica, is what no were you taking away from moral relativism in the church? It is absolutely imperative according to the doctrines. You guys are turning me into a feminist. You need to let Erica speak. Go, Erica. Go, 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 go. I don't really have that much to say. I mean, this talk, it was kind of, he kind of was a little creepy that like, look, I'm smiling and talking about repentance. It's a happy thing. But like, it's kind of creepy at the same time. (laughs) Well, especially since he said that you have to suffer and you have to be serious. Yeah. But he's smiling. Anyway, it wasn't my favorite repentance talk by any means, but I think it's always funny. There's at least one, probably two in every session about like lists and five points. Someone, someone mentioned Mm -hmm. like, I think this one was a five point plan, you know, like a point plan to salvation. And it's just like, that has nothing to do with people or, you know, how their situation, I don't know. It's just so funny that there's always, Bednar is like, I, I, I like, when Bed- what Bednar says, but lots of the times it's like five steps to being a perfect person. You know, it's just in five easy payments. You know, it's just like this idea of like you just yes, but this. in this but in this talk he also emphasizes there are no check checklists and no check right. no checkboxes. <laughs> yeah, but don't have checkboxes. Well, <laughs> I I wrote down there were two things that that stood out to me and I just thought, wow, you dick, I guess. <laughs> Oh my <laughs> god! I wouldn't go that far, Matt. <laughs> I have, but it was under, the first one was uh, that 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 an aspect of respen- repentance is that it's an expression of love. Jesus invites us, and then he he's talking a little bit about it being love, and then he says, you know, when we call people to repentance, because that's what he turns it on, is that because yeah. Jesus invited us, we also must invite others to repent. When we call people to repentance, we might be called intolerant and offensive, but actually we are very caring. And I oh, thought you, of love. Yeah, that's not yes. Good. And I thought you jerk, you are now j- giving justification to all those people to who, judge. when they're, when they're called intolerance to say, no, 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 I'm not being intolerant. I, I'm, I'm being caring. I'm, it's an expression of love. And, and, and that's a pet peeve of mine because in, because tolerance, the tolerance is a virtue. Okay. And there is no such thing as being too tolerant. And if I hear again in church that, you know, it's good to be tolerant, but you don't want to be too tolerant. 
that, that that's just not possible. So he gives these these people license um, in their intolerance and to be offensive to other people and call it boldness. And I hate it. Yeah, I do believe that you can be too tolerant of intolerance, which I know is a bit of an, a problematic thing. But I think you, I think you would agree with that. Fact, right. That's like a. Uh, yeah, that's like a puzzle in an enigma covered in secret sauce. But it's actually something that uh, is it Karl Popper? Karl Popper was was big on that. You know, the only intolerance that's acceptable is being intolerant of intolerance. Right. I'm I'm totally down with it. The only other one I wrote down is in striving to change was number two. He says this, and this is where all uh, other Christians are just going to do a double take and say, what is he says, we seek grace to complement our most diligent efforts. Compliment. Grace somehow complements our efforts as if it's co-equal. And that is offensive. Mm -hmm. Or or not even co-equal. I I did think about that. It's not that it's co-equal. It's actually just sort of the icing on the cake. Grace is, yeah, grace will, grace helps. It helps, but it's mostly us. You and me, but mostly me. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. So, Erica, did That's you have one I more thing you spot. wanted to throw in? About this one? Yeah. No. Okay. All right. So I just keep seeing <laughs> your, <asking> no? <laughs> I keep seeing your name light up and I'm like, oh, she's being talked over again. All right. Oh, sorry. No, maybe it's just. Maybe it's just extra noise, but I've just been listening. Okay. okay. One more thing I noticed in this talk, and it re- more relates to the rest of the talks. Did you know? Did you all notice um, more, in, at least in this session that I'm observing, them quoting one another rather than quoting older prophets? So you don't see the John Taylor quotes like sometimes you see. You see either they're quoting Thomas S. Monson or they're quoting uh, Boyd Packard. And this was one of those situations where he, I think he quoted Boyd Packard. Um, but they quote one another, the living prophets. See, it's to kind of emphasize the the emphasis on the living rather than the dead. I mean, maybe I'm just overplaying wouldn't, that. Wouldn't that make sense if it's a church of like revelation and living prophets? That seems to that to me that just would make sense. Yeah, but I see it. I see it more as a way to uh, to, to really get people to forget about the kind of the past and some of the original sources. And you see it with the presence of the church manuals where they quote. You know, they, they, they originally quoted like journals of discourses, right? And then it comes into the, the manual. And now a newer manual will now quote the most recent manual as the source yeah. rather than. Yeah, they quote the manuals, all, all of the new ones, all the new Relief Society and Priesthood manuals quote the previous manual. Right. Look, the reason. And I say it more as that. The reason dig, that you dig, guys dig. are choosing to be offended by this is because you don't understand that a living prophet is more vital to your salvation than prophets of the past true well i mean for for our generation none of us remember people in the 1970s you know and so maybe they're just trying to make it more but that's really convenient for the church because there's a lot of things that happened back then that they don't a lot of things brother said in the 70s that i do remember (laughs) (laughs) it's totally true and it's it's i think it's a good thing that they're maybe they need to acknowledge more that the church changes and not keep saying that it's the same forever and always but I think it's a good thing that they're doing more recent things that aren't so vindictive or offensive. Um, yeah, I would agree. I wouldn't have a problem with that so much if they didn't do what you just said and turn around and say that it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right, right. And the quotes, that if they quoted them for something original, that would also make more sense. But the, the quotes, uh, of quotes, the quotes, of aren't, quotes. aren't even really anything original. 
Well, there weren't even any scripture quotes. There were references to things in the scriptures, but there was no scripture quote, which is kind of, to me, not a good thing. You know, no, Christopher, he, he quoted DNC 19. Did he? You know? uh, yeah, well, he, he quoted suffering, 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 <laughs> unless you uh, unless you repent, you will suffer, 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 suffer. So you better repent, damn it. Okay. Well, that was actually kind of the exact you know word. I mean. There were there were strikingly few scriptural quotes, which to I, me I agree with that isn't a good thing. So then, the last talk of the um, afternoon session was by L. Tom Perry. Spoke about how uh, basically acknowledging the Mormon moment and how everybody in the world is talking about Mormonism. And thank then, you, Book of Mormon musical. <laughs> and Mitt Sorry. Romney. Don't forget Mitt Romney. Oh yeah, and yeah, I, I loved I loved L. Thomas Perry's reference to just kind of subtly like some Mormons are in in business and politics, and he just kind of <laughs> gloss over like, like like we don't know who he's talking about. Right. Well, we noticed that Huntsman's dad got released as general authority, didn't we? Because I don't know that it's a good idea for a presidential candidate's father to be the ma- one of the major authorities in the church. Wow, you think that? I didn't even notice that. I don't think they did that because of that. I, I wow. got that. I caught the release. <laughs> there, also, I, Hinkley's, Hinkley's son was released as well. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, Richard Hinkley was released too. Yeah, so I don't know. Is there really anything to say about? No, the, get a, that was this was kind. Of, isn't he the one spearheading? He said some nice things. He, yeah, I really thought he said some nice really things. Positive. It is I, better I for like, them to ask than for you to tell. I yeah. like that. Yeah. And he talked about sharing yourself, not being afraid. I, I am fully supportive of members engaging in the dialogue because so many of us that are in, involved get criticized for being anti or this and that for just talking about things. I think that the 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 believing member, the the active member that gets involved and gets online, they're going to learn a whole lot. Really, they're going to learn a whole lot because there's a lot that they're not. <laughs> they, that's they're not, true. They're going to learn a whole lot. <laughs> Well, there's a lot that they're not going to hear in Sunday school or in general conference that they're going to learn about their about the church. So I think his invitation for the members to get online and, and engage when when moved upon by or directed by the Spirit, add your voice to the dialogue and discussion. Good. Come on, let's talk. He, he yeah. conceded that there is a lot of confusion about what the church stands for and believes. Couldn't possibly have anything to do with the brethren never being willing to actually stand up and say clarify on things like polygamy or whatever. But and. Uh, he said we should be honest and open and clarify. I mean, this is uh, – if you take him at his word, um, it makes Mormon stories and Mormon expression and um, feminist Mormon housewives and um, – Daughters of Mormonism. Of, Daughters of Mormonism makes all of our favorite uh, gathering places look, you know, like a pretty good place to engage in discussion. Yeah, I, 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 th- I thought it was very affirming, very validating of, of a lot of the things that we're involved in. I love that he said, in speaking about the church, we don't need to make it sound better than it is. We need no yep. spin. Yep. He, he really kind of goes all newsies on us and just tells us to seize the day. <laughs> yeah. Totally. As that opposed to, I mean, I think I would have more troubled if he was doing the bury your head in the sound uh, uh, ostrich type of thing that this this social media phenomenon is, is not real. It's, don't get involved. Don't engage. We don't want you uh, engaging in the dialogue and discussion in, online. I think that would be more troubling to me yeah. than his encouragement to the members to participate, use social media, talk about the church, don't be ashamed, talk about who you are. That's that's fine with me. I, I think that's important. It's interesting that he they do take this tech or he is taking this this position because I, I 
I just think they overstate their uh, their their position and their their ability so, to be able to engage on this in this. <laughs> so I, I think, uh, hey, all all power to them. Anyone who wants to engage and, and get in the dialogue and learn some more stuff, let's let's have an open and honest and frank discussion about your beliefs and and our beliefs and and uh, you know let do what is right. Let the consequence follow. Absolutely. Praise to the man. He's third in line for the throne, right? Yeah. And, and Eltar Perry has always been fairly ecumenical and kind of uh, just kind of a nice. Uh, he's never been bombastic or anything. So yeah, uh, this is kind of very jovial. Very. I mean, yes. If you ever yeah. wanted to adopt a grandfather, I mean, he's just so warm and fuzzy. All right. Well, I think we have had a thoroughly bitter apostate review of this conference, it except does. for the little rays of sunshine brought in by Erica. And I feel and El Tom Perry. And El Tom Perry. And I feel it necessary, even though I'm not a priesthood holder and this is not my position, I feel it necessary to call y'all to repentance and to come back to the church and to take your place among the righteous and to start doing the Lord's work. Look, I can only take what they give me and what they gave me this Saturday afternoon only reminded me why I don't watch conference. All right. Well, everybody, the discussion continues at mormonexpression.com.